Today on Ag News Daily. This is a time where if I look at the chart, I am very nervous about where we go from here. To be putting in right now a really significant head and shoulders top, and it could be the highs for the year. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I'm Madison Honkamp here, joined with Mike Pearson on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Mike, how are you doing today? I am fantastic, Madison. I'm over here in my new office at the Zaner Group, getting to know the team, uh, working to help folks manage their risk here in Chicago. And I tell you what, I walked here to the office this morning from my sister's place, and I was sweating like a stuck pig. Yeah, it's definitely a hot one out there. Well, that and I'm just fat and out of shape. <laughs> Maybe living in the city will help you get in shape. I don't know. They got Uber. They got cabs. That's, <laughs> that's the last time I'm walking. That's the lesson I learned. Uh, well, what news is sticking out at you today? You know, that is a fantastic question, Madison Honkamp. We've got a couple of stories that are really uh, worth noting, and I wanted to throw this out there to our listeners. Uh, I know we've got a lot of folks who like to dig into detail on different things, and CoBank has uh, just published a new report. This is their Knowledge Exchange Exchange Division has has published uh, an ethanol report, and I was reading through it this morning, and, you know, they've got some interesting notes to it generally the consensus is that uh, ethanol producers are going to struggle for the next you know couple of years we are dealing with a supply glut similar to the dairy industry and uh, will secor who is their economist over there at cobank did a really nice job putting this all together so i would say just google up the uh, cobank ethanol report for our listeners who uh, want to learn more about that sector of agriculture uh, the one thing they do point to as something to be optimistic about is the growth of E15. You know, we can now sell E15 year round. Hopefully that's going to induce more uh, fuel retailers to spend the money on either blender pumps, which can pump out, uh, you know, any different variety of ethanol blends or just dedicated pumps for 15% ethanol. And, you know, hey, that would, if everybody who's running E10 jumps to E15, shoot, that's a 50 percent jump right <laughs> yeah yeah uh, we're using 50 percent more than we do now yeah which is a good thing it definitely is yeah so i would say check out that report listeners it is uh, it is very cool stuff well that's good news or all kind of some interesting news from there but mike i have something coming out from the fda today a while back we kind of discussed how the usda is really wanting to have kind of the say over genetically engineered animals, and now the FDA is defending its regulatory turf in a battle over these genetically engineered animals, and basically saying why they should have the say in approving or not approving these reports. Um, But at stake is really the oversight of innovations for hogs that are resistant to certain diseases and dairy cows that are more productive productive and the only biotech animal that has been approved after two decades of review was the aqua advantage salmon um, which has been genetically modified to grow faster right so wait let me take Mm -hmm. a step back madison you're Mm -hmm. saying that currently the fda has that Right. Or, you know, they're Mm -hmm. they're the ones doing the approval and USDA wants it. Yes. USDA wants it because the FDA 
is review process is so cumbersome and slow. Like it took them two decades to review this salmon. Um, and so the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and American Farm Bureau Federation, as well as National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, want this to be transferred over to the USDA. Obviously, they will still have to follow all of the different, you know, um, regulations and everything that the FDA follows, but they won't quite have the backlog that the FDA has. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. The USDA mm-hmm. would certainly be certainly be speedier, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yes, and this is really coming out of how, you know, they really want the USDA to have that jurisdiction over biotech animals after the whole African swine fever um, situation that we have, because we want those hogs to be um, resistant to that disease. Absolutely. If we can build an ASF safe pig, I mm-hmm. mean, that, that that takes the risk of that disease right out of the window. Yeah. So hopefully they can get that figured out. Um, it doesn't seem like they're coming to any conclusions quite yet, but we'll definitely keep, be keeping an eye on that one. Faux shizzle. That's what Snoop Dogg would say. Is that your new language now that you're living in a big city? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm exclusively going to speak like a rapper from now on. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so that's something okay. uh, you're just going to have to adjust to, frankly. <laughs> yes. And our listeners are just going to have to get used yeah, to they're, it. Yeah. They're just going to have to get, get jiggy with it, as Smith <laughs> would say. <laughs> Oh boy. No, I'm, I'm done. I apologize listeners. Nobody wants to hear me rap, <laughs> even though I've got all kinds of good thoughts and I got mad flow. Um, speaking of mad, there is a, uh, a representative of Germany, uh, Peter Bayer, or Bayer, probably, who is uh, a member of Angela Merkel's conservative party there in Germany. This guy's, he's their quote, transatlantic coordinator. He has weighed in on the US EU trade discussion. And he said that both the U.S. and the EU need to drop agriculture just to get this trade discussion started. So he is on team no ag in uh, the initial parts of this trade deal. He wants the focus to just be on whatever we can get talked about because ag subsidies are a huge deal in the EU as well as some of their non-market-based trade restrictions, looking, of course, at the the non-GMO requirements that that a lot of uh, European countries have, or the EU, I should say, has. And, uh, And then, of course, you know, Subsidies are important in United States agriculture, and the U.S. and the EU are not going to come to an agreement on those two things. So as Peter Beyer says, quote, this appeal is directed at both negotiating partners. Do not use or abuse the issue of agriculture that is hanging over everything as a blockade. He says, just get into a room, start talking, and, quote, pick the low-hanging fruit first build a relationship and go from there. So, you know, we've uh, we've been watching this issue. Will the EU allow agriculture to be part of the discussions? Um, it, it sounds like the consensus coming out of Europe is no. Uh, let's just make this about all the other issues that we can find common ground on first and then possibly begin to work ag into some uh, free trade negotiations as this goes forward. So we'll just have to keep an eye on it. But uh, that's where things stand now. And uh, 
they really want to get something done because they are concerned that President Trump is going to put those tariffs on EU car imports. Looking at those Beamers and Benzes and, you know, all the things that rappers like me drive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can understand wanting to kind of push. I don't like the idea of pushing agriculture aside, but if that's what you have to do to come to a conclusion for this whole dispute that we are in, maybe that maybe has a point, build a relationship before adding something on. Right. Right. And, you know, you, you look at it that way. And from this guy's perspective, he's a government bureaucrat. You know, he just wants a deal. And we know mm-hmm. the president Trump wants a deal. So maybe the way you get a deal is leave ag out of it, at least for the time being. Yeah. Maybe kind of find some common ground more along, right. along those lines. Exactly. <laughs> so what else do you got for us today, Madison? Well, in other trade news, Trump is plant is planning to submit the USMCA bill this week. Um, and he obviously it was a draft was given to Congress about 30 days ago. And he's really trying to push this through, um, especially before the 2020 election year, because we have talked about before, if it doesn't pass this year, it might not ever be ratified. Um, But Speaker Nancy Pelosi has warned the administration not to send the bill before addressing her issues. Um, Her caucus has raised with labor, environmental, pharmaceutical, and enforcement provisions of the pact. So maybe we could see this being passed this week. Maybe we won't. But Trump is really, really pushing it, as well as different dietary guidelines that um, the advisory committee does still have to discuss, but hopefully we'll see all of this go through. Yeah, hopefully we will, but I've got to wonder. I mean, it took a lot of work to get you know, the three countries to agree. I don't mm-hmm. think that they can do anything to address Pelosi's concerns with regard to the agreement. I, I, I just don't see that going anywhere. So I wonder if she'll back down, you know, maybe mm-hmm. if we just talk about it, then we'll get it done. I don't know. It certainly does seem to just be hanging out there on a very thin thread. Yeah. Thin thread i should say well and like if the the three they finally came to like an agreement for things it it seems like her concerns are are obviously important and like they should be considered but if it took us this long to get an agreement to even be considered to be ratified then you know like you can't really go back and say okay well this is what we want now Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, so you had your thought or you had your time before this thing was mm-hmm. you know, being created. I don't know. Exactly. Oh, boy. <sighs> well, hey, Madison. Do you know what is dangerous? What, Mike? Bull running. Running in front of bulls. Uh, well, yeah. I yes. hope that was common You sense. know that was dangerous? I do. I did know. Yes. <laughs> You're, you're wise beyond your years because in the <laughs> Pamplona in Spain, Sunday was the first running of the bulls in Pamplona. You know, the famous event where you dress in white, mm-hmm. red neckerchief on, and they turn the bulls loose and you run. Well, three people were gored and two people suffered head trauma during the first running. Altogether, 53 people were treated by the Red Cross after uh, the running of the bulls. And this just blew me away. How long do you think the running of the bulls takes? Have you ever seen it, seen videos of it or anything on uh, the Internet? 
Yeah, actually, well, no, we had to watch them, like, in my Spanish classes in high school. We would watch it. And really? It, yeah. Well, we wouldn't watch, like, the whole thing, but, like, we'd watch, like, you know, 20 minutes or so. But it, doesn't it go on for, like, days? Yeah, so they do it. It's I think it's a full week. They run the bulls from the center of uh, or from the outskirts of the town into the town to center, the center to the bull mm-hmm. ring because then they've got their bullfights at night. Mm-hmm. But the run actually only lasts for two minutes and 41 seconds. Oh, yeah. So 53 well, people mean... were injured in two minutes and 53 <laughs> seconds. Let's get it done. I mean, how many they probably what have like 100 people running in front of how many bulls? So I've been looking. I don't know, A, how many runners there were, nor do I know how many bulls. So I've been doing some research, and I have not been able to get an answer to that. But, uh, yeah, thousands of people will run um, over the week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I think don't know how many bulls. That's crazy. It is. That's you know, I've so, done it seems so dangerous. It's just accidental. It's just I'm in the pen, and the bull gets mad at me, and I yeah. just run like hell. Yeah, exactly. But that just, it just seems so dangerous. I can I mean, like, Living I, never, I guess, <laughs> I guess, but I mean, I, you can tell like PETA's not okay with that. So. No, and actually they're not. And so of course PETA is the U.S., but there are animal rights activists in, uh, in Spain. Of course, they're everywhere in the EU. And on Friday, actually, so just last week, protesters lay half naked in the street with fake spears coming out of their backs to protest, uh, the bullfights. Oh, geez. Yeah. That's just very, very interesting stuff. Yeah. Really very interesting. Kind of bizarre. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Well, Mike, I just have one last thing here. Um, I think this is interesting. That's like the political nerd that I am, though. But Joe Biden's support in Iowa fell by 20 percentage points since September, according to the latest focus on rural America poll. Um, Say why? He is... He was, um, you know, kind of going back on the whole E15 deal and kind of, I don't want to say bad-mouthing Trump, but kind of bad-mouthing Trump. And a lot of, you know, rural America does support some of the Trump administration's um, decisions that they've been making. Um, and, yeah, so just he, he really is kind of falling behind in rural America. Fascinating. Well, I've got some other political news for you. Um, Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, excuse me, has now the lowest approval rating since that country returned to democracy three day, uh, 30 years ago. Uh, they say that only 33% of uh, Brazilians think Bolsonaro is doing a good or great job. And of course, we care about Brazilian politics mm-hmm. because so much of uh, Brazilian agriculture gets exported and is in competition with ours. Oh, my Only 33%? Yes. Yeah. And so this <gasps> is interesting. The lowest favorable rating in 30 years. However, he technically tied with former president uh, Cardoso as the leader with the, the least support in his mm-hmm. uh, at this point in his term. And that was back in 1995. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Not a lot of uh, great news there for the yeah. of Brasilia. Not really. 
Well, let's see. We've got a good discussion today with our friend Ted Seifert from the Zaner Group. But before we jump into our Market Monday talk, Madison, should we see where the markets closed for the day? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks. And remember, our markets are brought to us by my new employers here at the Zaner Group. Folks, give us a shout. You could reach me directly at 312-277-0112. That'll put you right through to my desk. I've got a fancy phone. And uh, let's talk. Let's manage some risk. Let's uh, let's take some of this market risk off your plate. We've got a great team here that can do that. Uh, or visit us on the web, Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com. And of course, Tell us you heard about it on the Ag News Daily podcast. In the markets today, we've got a mixed trade in the grains. September corn was up three quarters of a cent to finish at 439 and a half. December contract up one and a half, finished the day at 443 and three quarters. In soybeans, the August was up three cents to finish at 879 even. The November up three and a quarter, closed the day at 897 and three quarters. Uh, weakness in wheat today, Chicago wheat, September down four cents at 511. The December contract down two and three quarters to close the day at 5.22 and three quarters. Jumping over to the world of livestock, mixed trade here in the cattle complex, August live cattle. With the October down 67.5 at 107.40. In feeder cattle, the August contract up 7.5 cents at 138.90. With the September up a nickel, close the day at 138.75. And weakness in lean hogs today, the August contract was down 97.5 cents at 76.0750. With the October down $2, 7.5 cents, close the day at $68 even. Quick look at the dairy market in class three milk, the July contract down two cents at 1736 with the August down three, closing the day at 1786. Without further ado, let's jump into our hashtag Market Monday conversation with our friend Ted Seifert. Well, folks, it is Hashtag Market Monday, and I am here in scenic downtown Chicago talking to our good friend, Ted Seifert from the Zaner Group. Ted, how are you doing today? Doing all right. How are you? I'm not doing too bad. I'm, not, I'm adjusting. It's a fast-paced city. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot going on. Lots going on, lots especially going in the summertime. On? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Lots going on in the city. Lots going on out in the country. we got crops growing. we got hailstorms moving across. We've got just a, a, another pattern of dry weather. It looks like, Ted, bring us up to speed. What happened in the markets today? What were some of the big movers? Okay. So, you know, corn and Sunday night session was sharply higher once again. We've seen that in a lot of these Sunday night sessions. And similar to that, we saw the corn fade during the day on Monday. At one point, we were down about five cents. But unlike some of these other days, we did find some footing. We bounced back to unchanged, actually had a positive close on the day. And that's pretty good. Um, this is a week where, you know, a lot of times when we get back from the July 4th holiday weekend, we see some big moves. So the fact that we were fairly quiet here on a Monday I think that's fairly interesting. Now, we do have a WASDE report coming out on Thursday. That is a big deal. Uh, we're probably going to see some some yield changes for soybeans. And if we're going to get a bullish report, it probably would come from the soybean report. But we'll see. Uh, if I look at a corn chart right now, you know, we've got uh, sort of a head and shoulders or, or the potential for a head and shoulders topping formation, which is concerning me a little bit. Uh, I think there's a chance that <clears throat> we get a midsummer sort of pullback if the weather stays at least somewhat agreeable. Um, and then we'll see what happens when we get into the, the fall, when we start doing crop tours, see what the crop looks like, and then start seeing what the weather looks like as far as an early frost. There's still a lot of risk here for this corn crop. But we could have a time where we really cool things off a bit, uh, not weather-wise, but market-wise, and have a pretty significant dip. So, you know, I've been – ever since we saw that acreage report, I've been urging – 
the producers that we work with to have orders ready to sell corn above 440, between 440 and 450 on the December corn. We got to 448 last night. Um, make those cash sales and then either have calls in place to, uh, to, to reown the potential for higher prices or look for a pullback to do that. Um, but I think it's a really good time for some risk management right now, especially the way the chart's setting up and just, you know, where we are time-wise as far as uh, the calendar. Well, Ted, you're talking options. We saw a period where, where option prices just spiked. Everybody wanted to buy calls. Has that stepped back a little bit? Or are they getting a little more reasonable it is. re-own? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you have when you have markets making new highs and the way that, that corn was trading there uh, for a while, that really ramps up the volatility premium and options. That's cooled off. We, we have been a bit sideways. Now, calls are still somewhat expensive. Puts are available there as well. And listen, if, if you're a producer and you're looking outside and you're not sure if you're going to make it to the finish line, you're not sure what kind of crop you have, puts are a very viable option as well. Um, you know, so one way or another, whether you're selling cash and buying calls, which is what I call, not what I call, but that's creating a synthetic put, or you're going into the market and just buying puts, both of those are very viable. I mean, but one or the other, I mean, you really need to be looking at something. something. That's the moral of the story. Because if we go back to 350, that's really a big problem. If we go to five and a quarter, which is, I think, what everybody's hoping for, that's great. And again, I'm all for reowning that profit potential again, but... If we if we never go higher from where we're at right now, and you miss the opportunity to sell 450 corn, that's going to hurt a lot. Yeah, and your your lender is going to notice. Your everybody's going to notice yeah. when you're stuck making yeah. harvest sales at 350 again. Ted, you mentioned WASDE report coming up on Thursday. Might see some excitement with soybeans. What are you watching for? The yield number is going to be the big thing for soybeans. Yeah. We know what the acreage numbers are going to be for both corn and beans. Uh, for everything. We know what the acreage numbers that they're going to use for this report are. There won't be a surprise there. The surprise is going to be, are they going to lower soybean yield somewhat dramatically? Uh, crop conditions have not been good. So I think they have justification to do that. And if they do, on an 80 million planted acreage number for soybeans, you could have a really fairly tight uh, soybean balance sheet, especially compared to the billion-plus bushel carryovers that we've been talking about. So that might be something that could be very interesting for soybeans. Now the question is going to be, does the trade believe that or not? Because a lot of us feel like the 80 million acres, 80 million acres for soybeans is too low. Okay. Uh, that should be somewhere 82, 82 and a half or so. So we will take that with a little bit of grain and salt. But, again, the potential is there to see a bullish print on that soybean carryover that could really spark all the markets. But if we don't get that, if we don't get a big bullish reaction to this report and we're not able to sustain it, then again, I'm, I'm worried that this is the time frame where we could start to turn down and, and head a little bit lower across the board. Before we go too much farther, what is going to be a bullish trend? What, what's the trade anticipating come Thursday's report for a soybean yield? Well, I mean, uh, we put out a 48 coming down from 49 and a half is which the, where the USDA is now. But I, I could see them, I mean, longer term, I'm at a 45 oh, wow. at the moment. Okay. And if they came out with that sort of number, wow, things get really interesting in a hurry. See a limit move? Uh, maybe. I mean, <laughs> limit moves have been, uh, very rare in the grains for a long period of time. We saw the first one in corn, uh, for what, four years or so on the last, uh, planted acres report. But, uh, yeah, I, I suppose that's possible. Y- you wonder how many people would sell into that. Uh, I-, I don't know about limit, but okay. Either way, it'd be, it'd be rather friendly. All right. Now let's talk a little bit about the livestock markets, Ted. Uh, incredible, incredible, Ugh. Lots of beef was moving this past weekend. Yes. We finally had sunshine. Yes. We had folks out grilling. Yes. Are we seeing any of this make its way back to the producers? 
Well, um, I hope so. I, I was buying uh, um, New York strip steaks for six dollars and fifty cents a pound uh, this weekend. That's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely, keep that going. Um, you hope so, but I mean, prices have continued to be under pressure. We saw feeder cattle try to go higher today, but then really couldn't. Uh, to me, it looks like the cattle complex is starting to find a base here. Uh, I think we have turned that corner weather-wise where we will be out grilling. A lot of times we look at this July 4th holidays sort of putting in our peak demand for the summer season, but I don't know if I agree with that. I think this, this year it gets pushed back a little bit further because we've been not able to get out and right. grilling and whatever. So, I mean, this is really kind of the start of the summer, at least it feels that way. Uh, so I think demand stays good. I think we start to see cash level off. We've seen the last couple of weeks, the 109 trade has been very constant. Uh, I'm hoping box beef prices can start to catch a bid. Hopefully cash can come up with it. And I'm looking for higher prices in cattle. Um, the hogs have been sort of a problem there. We've got a lot of supply. We're not moving as much to China as what we had hoped with the ASF problems. Um, so there's a lot of pork on the market right now, and that is kind of limiting a limiting factor for beef. Uh, I'd love to see the hogs find some footing and find some demand and, and start to balance there. But, you know, today was a day where we started higher. We had uh, we were optimistic about what hogs could do today after four straight down days. And then we made it, uh, well, we didn't make it past midday before we were trading lower and looking for limit down in the, in the deferred months in the hogs. So break, breaking below 200-day moving average, breaking new lows. Doesn't look good in, in, in the hogs, although I do think we're in a, a value area where we could see some support and try to bounce from. It's just not so, showing any sort of signs of life at the moment. So now, Ted, we heard, oh gosh, it's probably been two weeks ago now that China quit buying all, uh, all meat from Canada. They, they completely cut them off. Right. And why haven't we seen that, that market come to the U.S.? Why isn't China buying more of our pork? What's yeah, going on? You know, I mean, the interesting thing is Australia is buying. You wonder if they're, that some of our pork's getting channeled through Australia and then to China. But, you know, tariffs are part of it. But the other a big part of it is that we use a growth hormone that they don't allow. Ractopamine. And that, yes, exactly. And that's 60 to 80% uh, of our, our hog herd. So we're sort of limited as what we can send to China. Now, if China's buying from other places in the world, uh, that can offset some demand, and hopefully that means good things for us, but we just haven't seen that yet, okay. or at least not in a big way. So that's been the real problem. I mean, we had the ASF rally where we you know, went sharply higher in hogs, but now we're down below those levels now at this point just because we haven't seen the benefit of it, and we ramped up supply in anticipation of it. Now, when you look out to the future, as we talked about, a lot of guys uh, getting out there checking their crops, what's your final word to producers here as you look out the rest of this summer, what yeah. do we need to be doing? No, I'm going to circle back to what we were talking about. I mean, look, this is a time where if I look at the chart, I am very nervous about where we go from here because we have put in, we have the potential to have being, or to be putting in right now a really significant head and shoulders top, and it could be the highs for the year. If that's the case, we really need to get sold. And I understand, you know, guys think we have a disaster. We need to see 550 or $6 corn. Okay, fine. There's ways to reown that opportunity, whether it's, you know, buy puts here and let the cash rally or, you know, sell cash and buy calls. One way or another, that's fine. But we need to do some risk management and we need to do it right now. I would say we need to do it before this report that we have on the 11th. And guys that aren't at least 50 to 60 percent sold new crop corn, that's it's a tremendous amount of risk to be taking into into this time of year and this July 11th report. I think you really need to take a very, very hard look at it. If you don't know how to do it, talk to somebody like myself, 
um, to help you with the risk management, but you really need to step up to the plate right now. Just to drive the point home, Ted, when you say we're looking at, at a potential head and shoulders top up in here, what's the downside risk to your mind in the short term? Uh, well, I mean, modestly, I would say 402 December corn is a big target. Okay. But I'm not, I'm not taking 380 corn off the table. Um, you know, I, I think there's, there's a good chance that you, if you get a fund liquidation and they start piling out of the market, producers start selling on top of that. Cause you know, listen, we don't sell on the way up. We sell on the way down. Absolutely. That's just generally how that works. Um, it can get really ugly, a lot uglier than what anybody's really thinking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 442, 443, I mean, Hey, these are good prices. You need to protect that yeah. because the downside, I'd say, is at least 60 to 80 cents. Oof. All right, Ted, if our listeners are motivated now, they want to get in touch with you, they want to put some risk management in place, mm-hmm. how can they reach you? Yeah, you can reach me directly at 312-277-0113, or you can find us on the web at www.zaner.com. You can read a bit about us. You can also sign up for our Ag Hedge newsletter, which is full of very useful information pertaining to the markets. Fantastic. Ted Seifert, thank you so much. Awesome. Pleasure to be here. All right. Huge thank you to Ted there again. And, you know, Mike, people, you're always wanting to stay updated on markets, but where can people always stay updated with Ag News Daily? They can go right to our website. Get on your browser. Go to agnewsdaily.com. We'll take you to our new home with the Global Ag Network. You can find our podcast plus those of all of our compatriots talking agriculture in all of its many facets at Global Ag Network or find us on the Internet. Just type in at Ag News Daily on Facebook or Twitter and we will be there. We want to hear from you. We always love talking to our listeners. And with that, Madison, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 